Today I want to talk to you about God's highlighter. You know, God's got a big highlighter. I've seen it a number of times. I've seen the effects of it. And I just want to kind of uh, clue you into God's highlighter working in your life. Uh, God made you as unique uh, as can be. You are a unique reflection of him and who he is. You've got unique languages that he relates to you in. Uh, They're different from the way that he relates to everybody else because he made you to be a unique expression of him. And uh, it's taken me a long time to really begin to understand some of the languages that God relates to me in and how it, it can't be compared, even though it overlaps with the way God speaks to a lot of other people. He and I have a unique language. And he and you have a unique language that he wants to communicate with you in. And he wants you to understand that he's there to meet you in the middle of all your idiosyncrasies, in the middle of all of your life experiences, in the middle of the culture that you were raised in and how that's affected how you think and how you process, in the middle of the, uh, the, the cultural uh, aspects of how you were raised, whether you were raised in the city, whether you were raised in the country, whether you were raised you know, working in, in, uh, in the, on a farm or, or in, in a trade or whatever, uh, you tend to think in terms of uh, how you were raised and, and how you relate to life. And the Lord meets you in those places because all of those are an expression of who he is. And uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 25.2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, uh, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And, you know, we are called as a kingdom of priests or as kings and priests. All of us have noble blood within us if, if Jesus lives in us. All of us have noble, noble blood, and so God relates to us as his sons and daughters. He's the king of kings, which means we're all, we're all uh, called as his sons and daughters to be kings and queens, uh, to be kings and, and, and to think in terms of royalty uh, as our role in the kingdom. And now... And so it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. The New Living says it's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. You know, if we were in perfect union with the Holy Spirit, he'd be uncovering so much treasure for us we wouldn't have room for it all. Because the earth is full of concealed treasure. And he knows where it's all at. Think about that. He knows where every diamond, every fleck of gold, he knows where it all is. And so if we're walking in perfect union with him, he can uncover treasure. I'm I'm using that in a physical sense, but it's that way in every realm of life. There's always treasure that the Holy Spirit wants to uncover for us, and we're going to have a hard time walking in that unless we learn to recognize God's highlighter at work. That's what I call it. So walking with Jesus in many, is in many ways like a continual treasure hunt. You'll have to bear with me. This is how I think. Uh, this, this is how I relate. This is how I process things. Uh, he leads us into areas of much hidden treasure. And in the process, we discover so much treasure in him. Because he's the first one who's so full of treasure that we have not discovered yet. God doesn't fit in a little box. He doesn't even fit in a big box. 
the, you know, the, those who are before the throne of God day and night saying holy, holy, holy for eternity are seeing new, new aspects, new uh, perspectives, new uh, facets of who he is eternally. You'll never get to the end of God. And so there's always new aspects of him that he's uncovering to us that endears us to him and, and, that, that, uh, and him to us and helps us to build a, a deeper and a more confident relationship with him as time goes on. So, and, but in the process, we also discover lots of treasure in ourselves. Every one of you have treasure inside of you, and a lot of the treasure, I regret to inform you, has not been uncovered yet. You have depths of treasure inside of you, and a lot of it hasn't been uncovered yet. There's so much more that God wants to uncover inside of you. And, and the treasure in you is different from the treasure in anybody else because it's unique to you. So we learn our language or languages of communication and how God speaks uh, to us in each of those languages. And in every area, God's highlighter is always at work. And here are some of the languages, and I'm just going to use for an example some of the languages God speaks to me in, and, and then maybe you'll be thinking about some of the ways that he speaks to you. You know, the languages that he speaks to me in is completely different from the languages he speaks to my wife in. You know, and, and with some of, you, some of you women, you know, your language to relate to God is going to be completely different from me uh, in a lot of ways. But there's going to also be some similarities. So the first language I want to talk to you about that God speaks to me is the language of Scripture. And that's a very precious language to me. It's one that I get a little bit outraged when people try to compromise or diminish the value of. Because it's the power of Scripture that transformed my life. You know, the first thing that I noticed when Jesus came into my life and set me free from drug addiction and from other things that were destroying my life, the first thing that, the, the first, uh, thing that I noticed besides the fact that I didn't want to do that stuff anymore is when I opened the Word of God and the words came off the pages and started ministering to me. And God gave me an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. And, and as I would read the Word of God, it's like... Things would just, uh, I, I still have my first New Testament somewhere, by, uh, uh, Bible, and in the New Testament, there's whole pages highlighted. I mean, I couldn't get, a, get done, there was so much life that was flowing from the pages of the Word of God. I couldn't believe that it was the same book that I'd been, you know, used to all of my life growing up in a religious culture. But it was like so the Holy Spirit brought life out of that book. And so it's the, it's the first and the constant source of God highlighting treasure to me to this day. And uh, so often when I'm reading scripture, it seems there's a particular emphasis on a, a verse, a passage, or a subject. And, 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 and when it is, it's like the Holy Spirit's wanting to draw me into something. God's highlighter is at work. He's highlighting something and giving me an invitation to explore and uncover a further treasure that's there. Um, he's highlighting an area in his treasure map. Sometimes the treasure is uncovered quickly when I start digging, and sometimes it takes a while, sometimes a long while. You know, there's, there's some things that God highlighted to me, and it was like 10 or 15 years before I understood what he was inviting me to uncover. 
And when it was uncovered, it was very, it was significant. And so just because I don't find the answer to whatever is highlighted to me uh, in a short amount of time doesn't mean that God doesn't have something there for me. It's like an invitation. Keep digging, keep digging. There's something tr- precious here. There's something powerful. There's something deep and, and, and transformational here. Don't give up. Keep digging. Meditate on what you dig up. I need to do a whole other message on meditating on the Word of God because, uh, and I, I won't take much time today, but the Word of God uh, cannot be understood by your natural mind. People have tried down through the ages, and, 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 and it can't be done. The Word of God, uh, every one of us in the, in the spiritual sense are made up like an ox, uh, like a bovine. We have multiple stomachs. And a, a cow eats grass and then finds a good place to uh, chew the cud and brings up what it's eaten and regurgitates it, and then it goes into the second stomach where it's actually able to get the nutritional value out of what it ate. Okay, and that's how we are in the Word of God. The, word, the first stomach is like our mind, where we read it, and the second one is like our spirit in what happens as we meditate on what we've read. And when we don't meditate on the Word of God, it, it, it has a hard time getting past our head. It has a hard time getting past our intellect. And it's so as we meditate on the Word of God, the nutritional value of it begins to open up. And it talks about that in Psalm chapter 1, where it says... Uh, that in his word he meditates day and night, and whatever he does will prosper. So if you want prosperity to really begin in the internal part of you, because that's where it starts before it comes out into other parts of your life, it begins with with meditating on the word of God. And what does that look like? Well, when I meditate on the word of God, I'm pondering a verse or uh, and a series of verses or a passage and a, or uh, a theme that it's talking about, and I'm pondering it. And then another verse comes to mind, and I'm comparing it with that. And I'm chewing on that, and I'm considering that. And then something else that God revealed to me in the past will come to mind, and then I'll consider that. And all of a sudden, as I keep breaking this down, meditating on it, chewing on it, uh, thinking about it, pondering it, praying over it, uh, something begins to open up and reveal a treasure to me. And, and, it, and it's not, at that point, a second-hand treasure, but, but it's something that's first-hand. In other words, it's not something that I got reading a book that somebody else wrote. Or it's not just something that I learned because somebody else taught it. But it's something that, that comes first. I've, I've got stacks of books that people give me, and I, and I have to apologize. I don't, get them written, I don't get them read very much because I've only got so much time in my life to read, and I'm, I insist on the right not to allow any of those books to take away of my reading of the Word of God, because there's so much treasure in that that opens up to me that I know is not the same as me getting a revelation that somebody else, does that make sense? I'm not against books. I know I need to write some myself. That's so I'm not against books. What I'm saying is my primary nutrition comes from Scripture itself. Does that make sense? And, and the Holy Spirit inspired it all, and he's the one who will reveal. He's, it's the only book, and Derek, Derek again used to say this, Derek Prince. He said the, the Bible is the only book that as you begin to read it, the author will look over your shoulder and start whispering in your ear. 
That's the coolest thing ever. And, and so I love I loved the Word of God and what it does for me. Uh, and uh, so 15 years ago, all my lines were pretty straight when I taught the Word of God. I thought in a linear fashion. Everything was A, B, C, D, E. You know, everything was in line. Everything made sense. Everything had straight lines to it. Um, it made sense logically, line upon line, precept upon precept, build a foundation, make sure everything lines up. It has to all make sense to the logical mind, etc. And that's really how uh, a lot of teachers think, is, is in a linear fashion. And that's how I thought, and that's how I taught. And it was good. But then something started unraveling inside of me. And everything began to shift from straight lines to a meandering river. Uh, it wasn't something I decided to do. It was something God was doing inside of me. And I could explain it to you, uh, but I really don't want to go into all of that. Let me just say that I have no problems with straight lines. I'm just no longer wired that way. Um, my, my teaching style and my exposition of Scripture style has become more... Of, of, of a river finding its way through the countryside. And it's, I still at times enjoy doing verse-by-verse verse, uh, style of expository teaching. There are times when I do that. But mostly I find that I'm more like a brook or river that flows through the countryside, finding the riverbed that wasn't evident until the water of life showed up. You know, you, you, you can... Uh, anybody can see where the river is after it rains. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes it takes the rain to discover where that river is going to flow. Amen? And uh, so in Proverbs 21.1, it says the king's heart. Remember he says it's the, it's, the, it's the glory of kings to uncover a matter. Well, the king's heart in Proverbs 21.1 says is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so the river of life, I believe, is like that. It, it flows not necessarily in a straight line, but it flows where the hunger is. It flows where things have been prepared. It flows where the riverbed has been prepared for that water to flow. Um, so one of the languages that I... Uh, that God communicates to me in that I think of and that I relate to is the language of agriculture. Because I was raised on a farm, and I still think in terms of agriculture a lot. And so farming concepts, strategies, ideas, and pictures are another language that God speaks to me in. And uh, so I still, I still relate to things a lot that way. And uh, it, you, you'll see that actually in, in the different scripture writers. You can kind of tell... How, what they related things to. Uh, you see it in the hymn writers. Uh, you, you can kind of tell what language they speak in because it's the language that they write in. And uh, <clears throat> so here's a scripture that has been highlighted to me recently. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So there are many evil 
and corrupt things that are being sown against the Lord, against his agenda, against his people, and against his kingdom right now. And, and there are many that are grasping for power over the population of the planet who are mocking God. As if they will escape the reality of reaping what they have sown. So, in other words, when we think that we can do things contrary to God's will, contrary to God's purpose, in defiance of, of that which is good and right and true, uh, and not reap the consequences, it's actually making a mockery out of God. Because everybody reaps what they sow. And that's just become so much more of a reality to me, to me recently. Uh, and, and what God says about that, we find in Psalm chapter 2, he sits in the heavens and laughs at man's feeble attempt to subvert his purposes, to undermine what he's doing, and to go against uh, you know, what the Holy Spirit is wanting to restore in the earth today. And he who sits in the heavens shall laugh, Psalm 2, 4, the Lord shall hold them in derision, and then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. So if you sow division, you're going to reap division. There's no way around it. It's going to happen. If you sow accusation, you will reap accusation. There's a role that God occupies as the Lord of the harvest of the earth. And as Lord of the harvest, he presides over all the reaping that happens for what people have sown. It's kind of sobering. If you judge without mercy, that's what you will reap. Thinking you can do otherwise is mocking God and his spiritual laws that govern the universe. And, and uh, James chapter 2, verse 12 speaks of this. He says, so speak... And so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so if we go around harshly judging people that we disagree with, or people that we see things from a different perspective or whatever, we're actually reaping some, we're actually sowing something that we're going to reap in the same way. So if you, if you want to uh, reap a harsh harvest, do a lot of harsh judging because you're going to reap what you've sown. And I made a decision many years ago that I need all the mercy I can get. You know, so I want to extend grace to people and not judge them harshly uh, because I don't want to reap in a harsh manner. It, and, and I don't think we need to say, if I'm going to err, it's going to be on the side of mercy because I don't think we need to go through life trying to err. But I do think that we need to extend mercy in our relationship with people and because mercy is what triumphs over judgment. Um. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus actually refers to this, this concept, when he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That used to bother me. Sounds kind of, wow, that's a high standard. Every idle word, what does that mean? 
For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Well, here's the deal. By the word of God, everything was created. Our words, and we're created in his image and in his likeness, so our words are very powerful. And it's not so much that, hey, make sure that every word that you speak is, is connected to it. No, it's, it's about the heart that it comes from. And if your heart is full of life, your words are going to overflow with life. And so because we're going to be judged on the basis of the words that we speak and what those words produced. And, and, and so whether we're, when we're building people up, when we're encouraging people, when we're taking time to build relationships with people, speaking into the potential that we see in their life, the treasure that God is uncovering in their life, and, and, and speaking to their destiny and their purpose, and their, we're doing exactly what our words are intended to do. Our words are intended to release life. Our words are intended to be merciful. Our words are intended to be full of love and compassion. And, and so that's what he's, I believe what Jesus is talking about is if, if your words are just wasted, idle, empty. Now, now listen, I'm, what I'm, any of you who know me know that I have a sense of humor. Um, it's a little different than some people's sense of humor. Amanda says, that's right. Um, but I do have a sense of humor. But I try not to, for it to just be empty humor. God's got a sense of humor. Uh, he's shown me some, 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 some aspects of his humor that are just outrageous. But his purpose goes right on through the middle of it. He never just throws words around that are empty. Does that make sense? So in the midst of him communicating with us, building a relationship, we see aspects of the humor of God that's just amazing. Uh, he made us in his image and in his likeness. Uh, anybody who thinks he can make someone like me without having a sense of humor, you're crazy. I mean, think about it. I mean, did you ever look at a giraffe? Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, just think about that thing, you know? Uh, and so the Lord has a, like Reinhard Bunke used to say, the Lord has a large humor. <laughs> um, and, 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 and every once in a while I get a glimpse of the, the humor. Listen, don't tell me God could make a person with the ability to pass gas with a straight face. I, I imagine, you know, there was some chuckling going on in heaven on that day, right? Um, maybe that's a poor example, but it is an example. <laughs> um, but his purpose goes right on through the middle of it. It's not idle. And so Jesus is talking about idle words. In other words, if you understood the power and the potential of your words to create an amazing world for you to live in, you wouldn't waste your words on idleness. You would realize God's given you a tool to frame the world that you live in, the way that God framed the world that he created in the beginning. Amen? What's that? Yeah, amen. Uh, so another language that God speaks to me in relates to rhythm and timing. And this is kind of one that I've been, 
understanding at some level more recently. Uh, I used to think, you know, growing up that I was just too full of energy and couldn't hold still. I remember hearing my mom say, can you just hold still for five minutes? Have any of you ever said that to your kids? Can you just hold still for five minutes? I couldn't. And I was like, no, why would you want to hold still? Um, and I remember being at a wedding years ago where the service was traditional. And uh, the music was sort of old school, you know. And, but it was music. And when it started, I started swaying to it. And my wife bumps me and says, they don't do that here. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I forgot. But I find that, that God created me to pick up a rhythm, a beat, a cadence. In fact, when, when nobody else is hearing anything, I'm picking up on a rhythm, and I'm moving to it. It's, it's something weird about me that I realize not everybody experiences the same way. But I'm always picking up on an inner beat or rhythm, and I tend to be moving to that in some way. My, feet, my foot is moving. Something's moving. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I believe what it is is the Lord's been showing me that I'm wired as a son of Issachar. And I think a lot of people that are into rhythm, like drummers, are actually wired as a son of Issachar. They pick up timing of things. They pick up rhythm of things. And it's very important to music. You know, Judah went first, but Issachar went right after them. So the rhythm section was right behind the praise section. And, and helped empower the, the, the praise section to do what they were supposed to do and keep them in t proper time and in rhythm. And uh, so uh, this is sort of a, a recent realization that, that I'm wired this way, even though I kind of always knew it, but I didn't really understand the spiritual implications of it. But I realized that when I'm asked to speak at churches when I go out, like, when I went to Peru these last several times, if I was asked to speak at churches, God would just drop this word on me about the times that we're in and how important it is for the church to recognize the time that we're in and what we need to be doing because of the times that we're in. Well, that's an Issachar anointing. Issachar understood the times. The, the scripture is in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. It says, the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And so, there's, there's, and, and so this is another uh, language that God communicates to me in, is, is understanding times and seasons, understanding the rhythms of what's going on. Understand, and so this is kind of a new, uh, a new aspect for me uh, when it comes to understanding something about myself and my relationship with God and how he wants to use me. Because it absolutely translates into ministry when I go out, uh, understanding the times that we're in. I, I was so frustrated at, at how I saw the majority of the church respond to the pandemic last year. And, 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 and I came to realize after a while, the reason I was frustrated, because it was so obvious to me what our assignment is at this time, but a lot of the church didn't realize that because they didn't have that. So that's where we come in, and that's why it's important for us who have a language or a gift in a certain area to, to be able to communicate to the rest of the body what God is, is showing us or giving us. Because it's not, that gift is not for us, it's for the whole body. Amen? Um, 
And so, uh, wow. So sometimes I can still be dense. And it can take me a while to get what the Lord is highlighting and why. But I'm, getting, I'm learning to be a little more sensitive to what he's revealing to me. And uh, I saw some of you smile when I said I can still be dense. Stop it. Um, for example, the presence and the anointing that would come into this place as our worship team hits the theme of justice, especially over death and the grave. I recognize that it happened, you know, probably three years ago. I really began to recognize that something shifts in here when we're in worship and we get into that theme. But I didn't put two and two together until recently. Um, that it's actually the Lord's highlighter at work calling us to focus on a major stronghold of darkness that he wants to see us break through. That this relationship that the church has had with the spirit of death needs to be broken. Death is not our friend. Death is a vile spirit that is in partnership with hell. They're both going to have their place in the lake of fire eternally. And death is not the doorway to heaven. Jesus is the door, not death. And as long as you're in agreement with death, you're going to think that you're going to have to wait until you die to experience heaven when Jesus actually said he is the door and that we can actually begin to have communion with heaven now and not wait until after we experience physical death to enjoy it. And so, so when that hit me, I began to draw a line in the sand and say we're no longer... We're no longer going to partner with that spirit. That spirit is our enemy because Scripture says it's our enemy. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the final enemy to be overcome is death. Okay, And, and he wasn't just talking about physical death. He was talking about a spirit that is, is, is being judged and will end up in the lake of fire eternally. We have to come out of agreement with that spirit. And as we do and as we break the power that that thing's had over us, we're going to begin to see healings and resurrections being restored back to the body of Christ. I'm convinced of that and at, a, at a new level. And so uh, that's just a little glimpse of some of the languages that God speaks to me in and, and how his highlighter works in my life. And what I'd like all of you to do is that are in relationship with the Lord is say, hmm, Lord, show me how your highlighter works in my life. Like when there's something that's being emphasized. Uh, and, and don't just look to pattern yourself after other people, because like I said, you're unique. Your language is going to be original to you. It's not going to be the same as everybody else. Uh, I've learned that in prophetic imagery, that there are things that mean certain things to me that would not mean the same thing to somebody else. But God knows what they mean to me, and so he'll use a very powerful image to relate to something to me that's beyond information It actually hits my heart because of a history that I have with that thing or whatever. Does that make sense? And so learning to understand the language that God speaks to us in, and, and, and it's okay for you to be different. I just want to give you permission to be different, different from everybody else. Stop comparing yourself with other people. If you do, the Bible says it's not wise. 
If you're going to compare yourself with somebody, compare yourself to Jesus. Set the bar a little higher. Don't be comparing yourself with people because that's shooting way too low. God created you to be a reflection of who he is, not your neighbor, not your brother. Does that make sense? You start comparing yourself to other people and you're going to be, you're going to be settling for far less than what God has for you. Amen? Let's stand.